Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Payne. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. You trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here, I normally would say, as always, there's nothing as always about this past month. This is a a reunion show. Here again with the one and only Anthony Slater and Fred Katz. Gentlemen, uh, it's, it's, you know, summertime. I've been unplugging a bit. You guys have been unplugging a bit. It is great to see your faces here on this Zoom session. What is going on? Oh, nothing. you know. <laughs> yeah. Neither of us even wanted to answer. That's I know. Should that have been we rhetorical? Have nothing to say, Sam. Don't What's scare the on? listeners away. We will find stuff to talk about. But there is not a lot so, going on. That's a hell of an intro to a podcast, I by know. the way. We got some dead air. Yes. We've got confirmation that you're going to learn nothing in the next 45 minutes. That's not minutes. true. It's fake. Fake news. Good. I hate that expression. You're going to learn about Sam Amick's <laughs> European travel. Yeah, we did a little traveling, and so yeah, we'll have a basketball slash off-season vacation uh, discussion, maybe, and a little slice of life from the three of us. Because honestly, I, I do. I'm always a sucker for talking about our industry. I'm always thankful and humbled to be a part of it. I love the hell out of it, um, and part of that is this this rhythm where it's like go go go, you know, for ten eleven months out of the year, and then a small window where things slow down, but because the NBA has done such a masterful job of never truly slowing down all the way, it, it becomes this kind of cat and mouse game with the headlines, if that makes sense. So in our jobs, you you would prefer to take some time off during a time when you never feel guilty for taking time off. You know what I mean? So when summer league comes to an end and around July 12th, I ended up ducking out and, and the date is in my mind specifically because we had a big monumentous uh monumental uh, 20 year anniversary my wife Emily and I so we get away and on July 13th was the anniversary we go to Europe and you're thinking to yourself all right Kevin Durant's going to get traded 2 days in you know and I'm going to be sitting here reading coverage and feeling like I got to chip in but that didn't happen I mean we've had micro developments along the way but but uh you know Fred's been out here pumping out Donovan Mitchell Nick stories left and right that I need to catch up on but but all in all not a, a ton of NBA action yeah, I mean, do we want to do we want to talk do we want to talk about like why that's being the case? Like it feels like I don't know, maybe maybe this is just because we have our first long off season in uh, you know, since 2019. Right. But the big trades feel like they're taking longer to happen in this marketplace than they did in years past, normally like something gets done and we had to go bear trade and that might factor into why all this other stuff is taking so long to get done too. Right. But like 
there's been a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we feel like we're just kind of waiting on whether it's whether it's waiting on a trade to get done or just waiting on a situation to resolve like whether Kevin Durant actually gets traded or not that situation is still open ended we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know how it's going to finish up is he going to stay with the nets is he going to be somewhere else same thing with Donovan Mitchell is he going to start the season in Utah because they don't get an offer for what they want is he going to be on the Knicks is he going to be somewhere else uh Russell Westbrook with the Lakers still feels like that that door is not all the way closed yet right Kyrie Irving same thing he's attached to Durant and all this stuff is just lingering and it doesn't feel like it's going to end like tomorrow. Like I have no worries that by the time this podcast posts, it's going to be spoiled. This right. whole rant is going to be done. <laughs> so like, should we talk a little bit about why we actually sure. think that's happening? Well, well real quick, Slater, before we throw it yeah. to you in the interest of, of good you know, podcast hosting or at least a, an attempt to do so, um, shout out Andrew Schlecht, our super producer. Uh, the breakdown today is going to be this. I think, Fred, you're right. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about some surprise teams and just kind of, you know, now that the dust has settled on some of the offseason action, which teams do we think are being overlooked, underappreciated, underestimated? Um, and then why am I forgetting the last segment? Oh, we were going to talk Donovan and the Knicks a little bit because that's Fred's beat these days. Um, Fred wants to dive into the Christmas games as well. That's the big right. news of the week. That's right. Man, I buried the lead there. Christmas Day the game, Sean Sharania with the, the lineup will decide whether or not we thought they got it right. And, and you know, spoiler alert, there's going to be a, a Knicks subplot to that discussion as well. Um, but now I will throw it back to you, Slater. What's your two cents on on Fred's uh, hypothesis here? Well, I don't think, number one, I don't think this is necessarily like first time. I mean, Ben Simmons, how long did that story linger? Um, I mean, that was uh, pretty much, what, like a seven-month at least odyssey. Uh, also, I you know there are there are trades that happen in the deep of summer. I can remember Kyrie to the Celtics. When was that? That was like like late August or something. Sam probably knows better than me on that. I know Slater. I feel like story. you're you're throwing the the oop here because you know we mentioned off the air. I've got a piece coming that's going to be published on Tuesday, so we can use this as a little preview where I did try to answer some of those questions you're throwing out there relating to previous star player trade requests. And at minimum, what I was trying to accomplish was to extract some of the raw data about things like timeline and then maybe a couple other trends we might have, or themes we might have seen along the way that that are always part of those situations. But as far as the timeline component, um, I looked at 10, and I think the last 10, star player trade requests. Uh, and in terms of the timeline, uh, you're talking, <laughs> there's there's a, an asterisk here, but basically around three months is the average. So with that in mind, Durant is still on the front end of that timeline. Three months being the average from when the player asks out to when he ends up getting traded. Um, the, the one guy that skewed the numbers and takes it down to like 82 days instead of 91 was James Harden's part two because it, it was, there was a gray area there. Like when he's in Brooklyn and there was chatter that he wasn't happy, chatter that he wasn't going to resign but not as firm of a he has asked out date that we can cite, and then you the know Kings game in Sacramento, the legendary sure like game. It. Yeah, but so but then from there to the trade was a matter of days, you know, really yeah. two, three, four days, and so that one kind of messes up the numbers. Uh, you kind of to answer your question about Simmons and Kyrie. So Ben Simmons was five and a half months from when he asked out to when he was traded. Um, Kyrie, and this is the Cleveland chapter, 
Where's Kyrie at? Do do do. Kyrie how, like, was how public a month. was that Kyrie? I'm trying to remember. Like how known was it? Because I felt like that was like a bomb dropped in the middle of the off season. Like oh, what? He got traded to the Celtics. Whoa. I, well, I think uh, the bomb more was that he was going to Boston. Like there was a list out there of the the four teams that he he wanted to go to, and Boston wasn't on there. But I think we had a good idea that it was happening. Well, also the I, bomb I, was that Isaiah Thomas was out in that deal as well. Right. Yeah. Brian Winhorst uh, of ESPN, the story I had cited here was, you know, July 21st, 2017. Uh, it appears that, that he had the break on it. Um, so it was, you know, a public trade request. And then roughly a month later is when Kyrie was out. Um, so it, it these things do take a while. And, and you hit on it earlier. I think, Fred, the Gobert thing is a bit of a monkey wrench um, in the just the negotiation side of things in terms of asking price for for. Um, the nets and the idea that they just, you know, it's going to, the optics are going to be terrible if they come in lower than, than what, you know, um, the jazz ended up getting for Rudy. So a lot of layers to it. And, and I'm with you that I'm not losing any sleep tonight over this pod being outdated by the time it comes out tomorrow. Nope. To the Christmas game, to the Christmas games. All right. Uh, you know what? Let's throw in a, a, a good old ad break early here to get one of them out of the way. We will be back. And on the other side of this, ad break we are going to break down the christmas day games because that was the news of the week all right guys let's talk christmas day games at least we got something to dive into here sham sharania just the other day uh breaking you know some of these games had had kind of leaked out a little bit here and there the individual games but he had the the full lineup and uh for anybody who missed it we are talking bucks at celtics 76ers at knicks suns at nuggets Lakers at Mavericks, Grizzlies at Warriors. Um, top of mind, before I throw it to you guys, like things that struck me right out the gate when I saw the lineup. You know, the one is is the annual obligatory eye roll at the Knicks involvement because they just seem to have this unofficial provision in their you know agreement with the NBA that they are going to be part of the Christmas Day games, and then fans and media alike, you know, bemoan the fact that. In terms of the actual basketball, they're not worthy. And, and Fred, you know, now that he's a Knicks beat writer, might bemoan the fact that he'll be working on a, a day that maybe he would have otherwise gotten off. But uh, beyond that, the, the Nuggets thing jumped at me, guys. Is the Nuggets not as high profile? But they were really unhappy last year when they didn't get a Christmas Day game, and and even pulled out all these stats about how reigning MVPs typically get. Christmas Day games, and this was, you know, a shot at uh, Nikola Jokic, and so they finally get their Christmas Day game. You know, those are my two quick takeaways. What what jumped out for you guys about the schedule? I was intrigued by uh, Grizzlies Warriors. That playoff series was so fun, and there was so much talk, and it just feels like the NBA is hoping that kind of becomes a thing. You know, there was so much chatter yep. between those two teams throughout that series, between the whoop that trick. And uh, you know the chatter after after the Gary the Gary Payton injury with Dylan the Brooks. The code. Yep, the code breaking the code. And there was just so much. Uh, and 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 even regular season stuff at the end of the regular season, they they had some stuff as well. So like, I oh, think it goes the back. Lead- it goes back a few years. Um, yeah, I I actually remember being somewhat disappointed in the series. And I think I think we were all in agreement, right? Obviously, you had Jaw just disappearing halfway uh, in the middle of it. Yep. Um, but also, you know, by the end, it was actually more competitive than we thought after Jaw went down. But I just remember, particularly early on, I felt like the 
you know, the code type stuff just like took on a life of its own where we were actually, especially after game one, remember how awesome game one was in Memphis? It just seemed like the actual basketball was lost. But, you know, we all know as as much as I think some people don't like it, the NBA lives a little bit off, you know, the, the drama of the league. And it, it is a series, uh, it is a matchup that has, you know, off-court, online, Twitter interaction type stuff that's fun. Obviously, you know, and Ja Morant and, and Draymond had a back and forth. This was probably a month ago where Ja was tell, telling Draymond something like, you know, come to Memphis for Christmas. And the Draymond was like, the champs don't, you know, the champs don't leave home on Christmas. And then they kind of were in, intimating that they wanted to play each other though right. on Christmas. And right. then it, it happened. And I don't know if you guys saw, but. You know, John Morant tweeted something out like, we made it happen. And then Draymond said something like, you know, come over for dinner after we play. So I, it, I think, you know, and I was viewing this from a Warriors lens of like who would be the best matchup for them on Christmas. Um, you kind of thought they were going to play the Celtics, right? Historically, a lot of times they want to rematch the finals. I think that would have been a great, you know, Warriors Celtics in San Francisco would have been a really fun Christmas Day game. But they used to always play the Cavaliers uh, on Christmas. But I like Warriors Grizzlies. You know, it's I think it's the league trying something a little bit new. Yeah, I mean, you get the Celtics in there, and, and I like the Bucks matchup. That's not a throwaway team. That's that's you know two champions ago, and and a uh, a squad that is worth watching. And Giannis is is a big ticket item, you know, and has been for years. So I like that matchup. And I'm with you on so the subtext of Grizzlies Warriors Slater. I mean, I'm here for it. It's a lot of fun. It's also you you kind of hit on this too. It never ceases to amaze me how the NBA, they really do love some of this drama. And to be be fair, a lot of it is stuff where these players will say a few things, but then if we catch a guy post-game, you know, in the heat of the moment with some emotion, you know, part of our jobs is, is talking to these guys, getting their perspective, you know, after these games. And, and it then takes some of that chatter to the next level. And so while there are times when the teams themselves might feel like, you know, this is taking focus off the game or it's just the drama. You know, Kevin Durant's complained in the past about the focus on that type of stuff. Like, the league loves it and the league frames, you know, kind of big uh, days like this around it. Um, and uh, I think that'll be fun. I mean, the jaw thing, for one, it, it's so weird between these two teams how they can't figure out, and you can do both those things. You can respect an opponent, but then also have a lot of edge with them. And I feel like, these two teams are mastering the art of that. You know, Draymond the other day on his pod is out there talking about how he and John Moran are basically cut from the same cloth and and really being incredibly complimentary of who Ja is. Uh, you know, but then, you know, a week from now you might see some trash talk coming from him at one of those guys. It's it's either or all the time with these two teams. Yeah. What when was the last time Kevin Durant didn't play on Christmas? Yeah. That's the other takeaway. Well, I mean, no you know, he had obviously sure. the Achilles tear, missed the season. It, injuries aside, injuries yeah. aside, like his team. Well, that I mean, that but that's the issue. Like, I think the NBA is like, dude, we don't know where you're going to be. So, like, oh, yeah. I think if they knew he was on the Nets, the Nets are in a Christmas game. Yeah, when I, I googled Christmas Day games just to pull it up for the pod, it it's, it made me laugh that the first kind of aggregated headline I saw was a Nets blog that just said no Christmas Day games for the Nets. Um, yeah, they would have absolutely had a spot if they didn't have all the drama they have going on. Also, are we sure he's not going to play on Christmas? I mean, the Celtics no. are on the schedule. Oh, right. <laughs> I thought you just meant for the Nets. I mean, who knows? Maybe this thing drags on. I doubt it. But um, yeah, I mean, you could be right there, brother. I mean, if I'm unofficially handicapping it, I think Boston 
at least from talking to some executives this week, feels like, you know, and this this is only, you know, this is outside teams looking at the situation, but that Boston feels like the unofficial front runner still and, and mainly because of the Jalen Brown inclusion and the general idea that the Nets are not going to get a better player as the centerpiece of a deal than, than Jalen. So you could be right. Yeah, that's the package that makes the most sense to me for a few reasons, including what you're talking about. Like Jalen Brown allows the Nets to pivot and believe they can still compete, right? Because they don't have their own picks moving forward. But also, the Celtics are the type of team that can have a package like that, trade for a Durant, and still be like, look, we're still loaded with Durant. We can go after a title this season. Where a lot of the other teams, the packages we're talking about, like you're giving up so much of what would help a Kevin Durant team right. go to the title. So. Right, right. Um, there's one other thing I want to talk. I mean, like we can get to like the Knicks inclusion, but I think it's going to be a big story this year. The, uh, Christmas is on a Sunday. The NFL did move a lot of their games to Saturday, Christmas Eve, but there's three NFL games on Christmas. You know, I'm looking right now, Packers, Dolphins in the morning, afternoon is Broncos, Rams, night is Buccaneers, Cardinals, which is, that's a pretty high profile game. Just the ratings battle. It seems like the NFL more and more is trying to dip its toes into the Christmas waters. And I think this is a big season to see if the NBA can kind of ratings wise kind of hold the fort a little bit. Well, and obviously that's why the Knicks are always, you know, part of this this party. They get the invitation is because ratings wise they they get the job done. I mean, Fred, you know, to that point, how how do you see not only their inclusion, but the uh, you know, from a business standpoint, the the route the league went this year? Sam, you know who had a worse record than the Knicks last year? The Lakers. The Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> who are also yeah. there. So I'm, but I'm they with have you stars. on the Knicks point. They have stars. That's my only cool. contention. I'm just saying. Cool. They, People they chime lost in. 49 games with those stars. That is so many games. Uh I mean, I'm I'm with you. I just think you have to include the Lakers too. The Lakers and the Knicks are just there is a threshold where if you are able to get I don't know what the threshold is, but there's a threshold. If you are able to command a certain level of ratings, then you get to play on Christmas independent of the quality of your team. And the two teams who clearly hit that threshold every single year are the Knicks and the Lakers, which is why we always see them on Christmas. I mean, when the Lakers were trudging through that, you know, post Kobe era, when they just were not winning at all. And even those last couple of years of Kobe, they were still a Christmas mainstay. Like they just those teams. But that's such a. I hear ratings. you, and and, and, and I was actually going to ask you if I had West Coast bias by ignoring the Lakers on that. But I, I the star component to me is a massive distinction because you talk about the Kobe Lakers. Okay, that's Kobe. This is the LeBron Lakers. Look at that Knicks roster and tell me who has the the highest Q rating on that entire thing when it comes Donovan to just Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Current Knicks, current Knicks, who the public actually knows who they are. Yeah, probably R.J. Barrett. Yeah. Probably R.J. Barrett. Right. I mean, that's to me, if you're Adam Silver, you can sleep at night, put LeBron James on Christmas Day. And I, I'm sure you can with the Knicks because like, they, they obviously get the job done. But the fan part of me just kind of goes, man, that's you know, what am I watching here? There's no, a- I'm with you. I'm with you. But But at the same time, it's like if you put all 30 franchises on the market, you might get the most money for the Knicks. So right. that's why they're there. Right. The Knicks also, 
fit well in that like early morning Christmas game. You wake up, it's like Christmas in the garden is going on. And, you know, maybe you would have wanted to let's get it over with time slot. Yeah, (laughs) it is a get it over with type slot. Also, that could have been the Nets, theoretically. But again, nobody knows who's going to be on the Nets. They don't have a lot of fans. I mean, to Fred's point, that's That's the thing. Yeah, they just don't. It's the reality. It, it blows me away that, you know, and not to digress, but when Kevin and Kyrie chose to go to Brooklyn and that idea that we're going to make it our own, it's like even guys like that who who have pretty significant followings, like couldn't turn that tide. You know, the, the Nets-Knicks fan, dis, you know, kind of discrepancy is, is massive. And one thing I will add, MSG on a Christmas Day game against a good team, it's a, it's a killer environment. That's, right. I mean, uh, that crowd gets it's awesome. It makes for a really fun viewing experience it, it does i covered thunder Knicks back in the day i think it i don't think it was durant's last season i think it was like durant's second to last season with the thunder but it was it was great uh it, that was a really fun game like like you said like a early afternoon game there so. so it's a very valid point and now i will argue against myself because fred i think what you're hitting on is and i'm not trying to be funny but like the garden is the star. You know what I mean? Like that that component I can buy into. When you've got James Harden out here tweeting that I think it was James who said, you know, Christmas Day in the garden, like yeah. when you have the stars getting excited to just step foot on that floor, you know, that matters and that does move the needle. It's an argument of why the Knicks need stars, right? The, the, right. the NBA would love if they could have the garden and the Knicks play, but also have stars on the actual Knicks. Right. Which I'm sure the Knicks would love too. Um who do we think is like the biggest snub though? Like if we were saying, hey, you know, the Knicks should be off it, like who should be featured instead? Are you talking if you're just talking Trae basketball? Hawks, are you talking, I would say the Clippers. Talk if about, you know, lack of a fan base. Yeah. And just lack of just the, the Nets oomph. of the West. Yeah. As a brand. Yep. But healthy yeah, I mean, again, is, contenders again. Yeah, that is where the league, I think, this year, you know, if I would have scripted or guessed the league schedule beforehand, I would have said, you know, maybe they would have gone Suns, uh, Mavericks, and Lakers, Clippers, and not had the Nuggets in it. But Nuggets raised a stink last year, man, and we'll never know. I just wonder what part that might have played in the decision making. Michael Malone was, you know, spending parts of his press conference you know, kind of contextualizing the choice to not have an MVP on Christmas Day. I, I do feel like that that might have played a part here. How about Miami? I mean, best yeah. record in the East, made yeah. the Eastern Conference Finals, have star power, have personalities, you know, iconic franchise. My, I think Miami you could justifiably have on there too. And maybe maybe Minnesota. Maybe. Nah, I think yeah. If you really want to – If you're just trying Minnesota, to get eyeballs, yeah. The argument for Minnesota is is if you think Anthony Edwards is going to be one of the faces of the league and you want to start ingratiating him with casual fans right now. Right. That's the Minnesota argument. We think Anthony Edwards is going to be a top five player and a top five personality because he's so charismatic. We should have everybody in this country get to know who Anthony Edwards is right now. That's fair, and and I mean, you're always going to have somebody mad if they get left out, but what if they had gone like Nuggets, Timberwolves, and, and lined the schedule up that way? Because the Suns, to me, I guess in, in general, the question is, you know, how do the Suns enter this season from an unofficial hierarchy standpoint? You know, you, you go from Western Conference champs to having a, a, a humbling exit in the playoffs. Uh, you know, you, you do end up holding on to DeAndre Aiden, but you, you don't 
have any new stars, Kevin Durant didn't come your way. Um, you know, would you have been, you know, should they have been offended if, if the Suns weren't part of this party? Yeah, I mean, no, I don't know. Like, have they reached that status? I guess, or is that They've a one-year thing based on finals appearances? They were the top. To me, they have a better argument than the Wolves because they were the number one seed last year. They made it to the second round, seventh game, and obviously, you know, it was a train wreck in that seventh game. But the the Timberwolves were out in the first round and were the seventh seed last year. Right. So. Fair enough. Uh, my last thought on this gentleman, uh, as an aside, is that Lakers-Mavericks matchup uh, did spark a, a vacation memory from me. So so we made the rounds in Europe, right? And one of our spots was in Croatia. We I'd never been to Croatia. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was in a, the town of Pula. Had a lot of fun. Uh, it's on the northern coast of, of Croatia. And so one day, we were trying to get a ride from the hotel over to the beach, about 15 minutes. And long story short, we get a ride from this dude who we would later nickname Taxi David just because he gave us a business card that literally just kept it real simple and straightforward. Just Taxi David was his name. And he kind of became, you know, our, our driver during this trip. He was, you know, cheap and reliable, whatever. But I would talk hoops with David a little bit because he was a fan. And what I thought was so interesting and what I learned about the area is you got a lot of NBA fans in Croatia for sure in that part of the world and a lot of talent obviously coming from Eastern Europe and, um, but it, it made me laugh that we talked about Kevin Durant and this guy who is, you know, professes to be a real fan, had no idea that Kevin had asked out of Brooklyn, but his focus was Luka Doncic and the idea that he has less help now than he did last season. He was not happy about Jalen Brunson going to the Knicks, you know, very concerned about Luka and who's going to help him. And next thing you know, you know, we're talking about Jokic, we're talking about Giannis, and and it was, you know, it's not surprising by any means, but it was like this filter and the kind of reality for me of, of seeing how fans, you know, are going to look through the league or look at the league through their own prism. Uh, but anyway, it just made me laugh that you could not know that Durant won it out, but but uh, he's still hoping that the Mavs get Lucas some help. Um, you know, I don't know exactly where I'm taking that, but, you know, the Lucas is going to try to take care of uh, the Lakers on Christmas Day, obviously. Luca does need help. I will say that he does. Well, that's that can, the theme that of that game. You Both teams need into help. Our surprise teams, where I don't think the Mavericks will be anybody's surprise team. Not at all. I agree. All right. Other side of this break, we're going to talk surprise teams and see what these gentlemen think. Are you struggling to close deals? B two B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. All right, guys, most of 
the moves have been made. Most of the rosters are are not necessarily set, but you know the core of of a lot of them, save for a couple of stars who might still be on the move, mainly Durant and Donovan. Um, you know, we we have you know a pretty good sense of uh, of how things are going to look next season. So as we get closer to training camp, about six weeks away, I believe. Uh, let's go to the surprise team segment. Who are we thinking is is getting overlooked here? Is going to be better than expected. We know Fred Cast did his homework, so he can as always, it. as always. I got, he a, got team. a list. I got a team. I got do, two. Do teams. you have a team, Fred? I have two teams. That's it. Uh, I thought we were each bringing. No, two that's teams. good. Yeah, two teams good. I got two. Uh, let's talk Cleveland Cavaliers. Hey, that's a good one. That's. <clears throat> I there's a world where the Cavs are like legitimately really good this year. What's I, legitimately I really good? Because they they I would argue they were. Wins. Oh, 50 plus. Okay, that's pretty there's, bold. There's a world where I think they could win 50. They started 35 and 21 last year. That's a 51 win pace. Jared Allen breaks his finger. finger. Mobley gets hurt. They're dealing with all these injuries. Garland misses some time. We still don't know what's going to happen with the Colin Sexton stuff. And I am not totally sure how he's going to fit in long term if they end up bringing him back. I feel like him as just some awesome scorer to kind of add potence to their offense or even their second units is is a really, really good spot for him. But those three guys in particular, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, are such a good trio. When those three were on the floor last year, the Cavs were plus eight per 100 possessions. They're presumably going to have them for more. They were the fifth-ranked defense last year, and they were top 10 uh, in – in allowing three-point shots. They just did not allow threes. And they might have the best rim protection with Allen and Mobley in uh, in the East. If you can protect the rim, and if you're not going to give up threes, you have a really good chance to remain in, say, the top 10 in defense. And I think those guys are only going to get better another year playing together. I think their chemistry could only get better. They ended up with 44 wins last year because they finished 9-17, and 17, and then they lost both their play-in games. But there's like there's real talent there. There is real talent there, and they are all young. And there's a possibility, considering they all are young and coming off of their best seasons, that all of those guys who I've mentioned, even like a Lowry Markinen, might be more comfortable playing, you know, next to those guys more in a year two in Cleveland. There is a world where those guys all just kind of get better because they're all in their <laughs> early twenties and they all are more comfortable playing together, and they're 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 top half of the league on both sides of the ball and. And they end up winning 51 games and and being, you know, a top comfortably in that top six. I just I think that's really I think it's possible this year. You know, it's crazy. 51 wins last season tied you for the second seed in the uh, East. Now it tied you with three other teams. But just I mean, the East was so crunched last year and no big time like the, the Heat were the one seed with 53 wins. That's. I feel like that's as low of a win total in an 82 game season for a one seed in a long time. No, it's but. really it's low for sure. Within all that, Fred, tell me your thoughts on you know literally at the center of all of this is Evan Mobley. Um, he just absolutely came out like a, a man on fire. You know, as, <clears throat> excuse me, early on last season. Who is he going to be in three four years? I know the comp game is always tricky and you know and and kind of ill fated, but. Um, he was so good and he's so important to what they do, but, but comp wise, uh, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts there. Who, who is he eventually going to turn into? I don't know. That's a good question. He, he's, he has a unique game. Like I, 
I think he is going to be a first team all defense guy. I really I really think he is going to be the fact that he was a rookie last year and you could legitimately argue him for an all defense spot means that dude is going to make first team all defense at some point. Right. It was the best round of rookies, defensive rookies we've had in forever between him and Scotty Barnes and Herb Jones. It was insane how many good defensive rookies there were last year. Uh, Mobley, in my opinion, is the best of them because he is awesome guarding the paint and he can straighten the perimeter. He's a great team defender already. Like I think he is going to be unbelievable defensively. And his feel offensively is incredible. He is he knows when to put it on the floor. He attacks. He is a really good passer from the high post, and he's really good at initiating. Like, I think he could be a, a best player on a on a really good team, and and maybe really soon because of the way he plays on both sides of the ball. And that's that's probably the number one reason why I I, I chose Cleveland first as a team right. that has a chance to surprise. Just because like if Mobley makes some huge leap, which I assume is going to happen at some point and could happen this year, then you know the Cavs will leap with him. I well, just don't see his offensive upside enough to be like a, a one on like a top three seeded like contender. Just because I just the creation to me is not there. He reminds me a little bit more like I feel like he's heading towards like Bam Adebayo territory. Which by the like it's not a bad you know player to become. But I think you've seen Bam's limitations in the playoffs in the last you know th- even going back to the bubble really when they got he was good but you know they got to the. Um, the finals struggle in the like, finals, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just because you know you don't see some of the off the dribble stuff with Mobley. I mean, it's it's a little bit more stationary. It's feel is very much there. You're right, but uh, and that is where you know I think the leap Garland. If you're really talking about being like 50 plus and beyond, I think Garland is like. Remember what Jamal Murray did in the bubble? Like I feel like Garland would have to have that type of blossoming, which he could. He could. Um, the well, East is packed, though. The East is packed. It's real quick, the, the, to Jamal, finish Jamal off Murray, on the- by the way, that's a that's a good comp because Gar- Garland is absurd on pull-up threes. Like, he was really one of the best high-volume pull-up three shooters in the NBA last year. That 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 totally changed the dynamic of their offense because when you have a guy who could shoot from as far out as him with that kind of accuracy off the dribble, totally changes their offense. The last Cavs thought for me, uh, the other end of the age spectrum for them is: is Kevin Love gonna be? Is this what he's gonna do? You know, for his later years, thirty three coming up on thirty four, sixth man of the year. Yeah, you know, can he do that again? By the way, another dude who had a good vacation recently, Tanzania. He's out here posting some ridiculous pictures of lions and tigers and bears. Uh, but Kevin was good, and and it's an important piece to to what they were able to do last year. Kevin Love is on the final year of a deal that is paying him twenty eight point nine million. Um, you know, I don't know what that could get you, but I think that's kind of a swing piece for the Cavs this season, particularly if he's helping them a lot enough that he is would be positive value on the market. The one thing I I would suggest of the Cavaliers is to don't like rush the Mobley era. Don't you know? I would still be making kind of like patient forward thinking moves and maybe getting off love for assets at some point might be the right move. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I will also say like Slater, I, you, you are probably correct that Evan Mobley is not the guy who you say, okay, give him the ball, have him go do stuff and you're going to be a top five offense. But I don't think he needs to be that when you've got Garland there. 
because Garland has kind of become a legitimately really good all-star caliber head of your offense. And and those guys work together really well with Mobley screening, with him cutting, with all those sorts of things and him making passes, uh, you know, secondary passes and all that. Like, I think, I think they've got a really nice flow to how those guys work together. And I imagine as they continue to play more together, it will probably get better. Yeah, my only problem is, like, I agree, like, uh, you know, Darius Garland is becoming a very nice player, but still, you look last season, they were 20th in the league in offense. Like, that's their issue, and, like, Garland's nice, and Mobley flashed some skills, and, like, but they're playing hyper big, their identities on the defensive end, I do think it works, I think it's going to win regular season games, but, you know, elite offenses need to be there in the playoffs, in big matchups, and I just think, I think, did you know, I, well, I guess it's kind of a little bit, I think, what happened to Chicago when they went up against Milwaukee. But I just, they still don't seem to me like a duo that against a a, a locked-in veteran playoff defense can score efficiently enough. As good as I think those two young players are, that is where my concern when we talk about, you know, it, don't, it, it feels like you may be trying to leap them up into like fringe contender status. That's where I doubt it is I just think, I don't know if they can score efficiently enough when it matters. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm not saying fringe contender status. You know, they didn't make playoffs last year. If you win 50, feel like that'd be good. Yeah, no, it's my, it's my, it's my possibility. I'm All right, it that's a there. good one. Let's throw it to you, Slater. What, uh, what surprise team are you, uh, are you advocating for? I don't know. There's not that many candidates, honestly. I mean, I'm just like skimming it. Um, I'm not sure I even believe in this one, but I think it's always at least, a great way to start an argument. Well, they <laughs> they at least profile as like if they had a nice season, you'd be like, oh, ooh, wow, okay. Portland, right? They they dropped to 13th is where they finished last season. There's a like to me the big question of their season is like is Lillard on the downslide or or was the core injury that Damian Lillard went through like really just impacting his play? Because like he was pretty bad when he played, you know, comparing to what he previously was. But he has been out there pretty aggressively saying like, "Nah, like I'm good now. The injury's behind me, and I'm going to be back to, you know, basically the best Damian Lillard ever was. Like he's going to be peak Damian Lillard if he is. I like some of the the." the I guess pieces they put around him, you know, Jeremy Grant, obviously Gary Payton, the second, I think is like a really fun, like winning type piece. They should be better defensively than they've been in a while. Can Simons be basically what McCollum was? Uh, if he is, and they just paid him like he was, um, they could, if they leap back into like, you know, mid tier West playoff team, like you guys would consider that a surprise team, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, like I said, I'm not sure I actually believe that's going to happen, but they at least profile <laughs> as a potential surprise team. Go ahead, they Fred. Could. Yeah. They've got they I like the idea of surrounding Damian Lillard with wings who can guard a little bit. Like Jeremy Grant makes sense for them. I thought that was a that was a that was a pretty good pull for them with considering what they gave up. They gave up like a late first rounder. You know, Gary Payton II is not a long wing, literally, but he just kind of has the effect of one in terms of the way he plays. You know, he might as well be one. And you put those guys next to What's that wingspan, Slater? Lillard. The wingspan is is large, but he's only six foot three. But it's it's like right. gosh, but he's look. such a disruptive defender that yeah, he led the NBA in steals per thirty six minutes last season. 
Yeah, and he's led the NBA in deflections per 36 as well in his career. I mean, he's he's he is the definition of of that sort of defender who's everywhere. He's the ideal guy is that. And you put those guys next to Lillard. I mean, I think if they really do surprise and they're really good, it's because Lillard comes back and plays like a like a first team NBA guy that he has before and and ultimately that's what it is. And and if not, it's it's that Simons takes another leap. He was really good last year, just got a $100 million contract. And, and if he comes out and is basically their new Lillard and McCollum, then, then okay, you got something. They could use a bounce back from Nurkic too. Who had a down year last year. He's he's always been a pretty good Got a new contract. Yeah, he's always been a pretty good rim protector. And and last year I thought was his worst defensive season in a while. I just I'm concerned with him like have the injuries caught up to him a little bit. Remember, like he like broke his leg like pretty gruesomely. And I just like that's difficult to come back from for a two hundred and whatever sixty pound guy or whatever he is. Sam, I wanted to ask you, you know, do you, I know you went to the Lillard press conference in Vegas, you're kind of connected uh in Portland. Do you do you get the general set? Like, do you believe like a big Lillard season is coming? Or because I mean, the what is he? He's he's at least what thirty now, thirty one. Yeah, he's early thirty. I think you got. I mean, is there a concern like he's declining, even if it's a slower decline? Thirty two, thirty two. Yeah, it's so. it, well, and that's the thing is that 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 you know that clock is ticking louder because of the age. Um, it for me, it's a, it's a show me year for Damian. Like, yeah, his messaging and his spirit and his attitude and everything he shared at his press conference. And we talked a little bit afterwards, like he feels good. And like you said earlier, Slater talked about the abdominal stuff being significant in terms of like, no, that was, that's what was keeping me back. And now that is gone. And, and then even the mental stuff, you know, I love the way the guy's wired as a person where he just talks about how nice it was to, to get out of the NBA space for a minute, appreciate his family. And, and, you know, he seems like he's in a very good place. Obviously signed that extension with the Blazers, which, you know, was somewhat in question going in. And so I don't question at all where his head's going to be at, his level of, of motivation, dedication, all those things. Uh, I probably just don't honestly believe in, in the roster, at, you know, on the whole uh, to the point of them making a, a too much noise. I did like you guys already you know, highlighted this stuff, but the Jeremy move and the Peyton move was, I thought, another big one because Damien's got that thing, which is Warriors-esque, which is like, you know, Steph always had Clay helping him in the backcourt defensively and, and Damien needed help for sure. I think Gary helps uh, along those lines. So, you know, I think Dame's head's in a good place. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, we're going to be watching closely preseason, early season. Who is he at 32 after what uh, what went on last year and, and how's he feeling? How's he looking? When they have good regular seasons, it feels like he always has like a month or a six week period where he just has these like binge scoring yeah. nights where you're just like Lillard had forty five again and they upset you know uh, the Nuggets right. uh, tonight. So I just feel like he needs one of those because I do not think they're like at all can push into contender status, but they can be a West playoff team if he just does his like put him on the back for a month and a half. I feel like you're putting them in that cliche coaching category and it's real, which is like, you know, you're going to have to play well to beat them. They're going to be one of those teams. They're just not, if, not, if not he tanking is, like they were last year. If he is his peak version, which is the big question. But right. Sam, what is your surprise? I am going to, I'm going to troll big time here because we've had this debate in the past and I'm just going to lean into it. I'm going to, um, I'm going to reinsert the Minnesota Timberwolves into the discussion. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was, I was guessing he was going, 
local, and I was gonna, I was getting ready to pound the table. Oh no, sorry, sorry, Kings fans, not not counting on your team. Um, yeah, the Minnesota part, <laughs> that's great. Andrew chimes in on the chat. How you guys think I'm so predictable? I'm glad I, I mixed it up here. Um, no Kings, Timberwolves is my focus. And, you know, Fred, you talk about the, the Cavs and what they were able to accomplish with Mobley and Allen down low going big. And, you know, nobody went bigger than Minnesota this summer getting Rudy Gobert. And, you know, can Carl Anthony Towns be as productive offensively and fit in with Rudy and sharing space with him? Um, you know, that'll be interesting defensively. I love the idea, knowing Rudy fairly well, that like it, it, the irony to me is that in Utah, he was without question you know, somewhat focused on his offense for most of his tenure there, meaning like when there were nights when he would get six shots, of course that would bother him. And that was a, a subplot and, and kind of a, a bit of a tension point for that group. The irony now I think is that I'm, I haven't talked to him specifically about this, but I, I do think it's safe to assume that in Minnesota, he knows he's going to be unleashed defensively and then whatever he gets offensively, he gets, but you know, they just have more options than the jazz had on that end. And, and I think it could be good. Now, D'Angelo Russell is sitting there with, you know, the, the kind of the, um, the status of the, the question mark with this group. If, if you ask me a guy that makes you think that he might hold him back a little bit, you know, that's the guy. Uh, but Anthony Edwards, big time star on the way up. Uh, I think Cat coming off a really good year. I think Rudy's going to be motivated. Um, you know, they, they lost some decent pieces in that trade role guys, you know, the Pat Beverly's that, that helped him out a lot last year, but, but I think Minnesota is going to be good. They're going to be my second team, Sam. Hey, there it is. Everyone has been so focused on all the picks that Minnesota gave up for Gobert that I think the narrative has turned into, I can't believe Minnesota gave all that up for Gobert and they've in some places gotten panned for giving all that up when even if you think that they gave up way too much for Gobert from a picks perspective I don't think there's any way you can argue that this trade didn't make them better today like they're they they are they have a chance to be really good especially in the regular season where I think they could win a ton of games and and for what it's worth my my against the grain take on Minnesota is that for all the flack that Gobert has taken for his defense in the playoffs and maybe not being the ideal playoff defender, I actually think that he improves their their playoff defense from a schematic standpoint, not just from a quality standpoint. They did so much gimmicky stuff last year, so much blitzing, so much hyper-aggression on the perimeter. And with Gobert, you can just play more stably. You can you can play him in a drop, and if your perimeter defenders actually fight, you'll be in much better position to be able to defend against like all of this chaos. They got beat in in the Memphis series in part because Memphis was was finding ways to exploit that defense even if they weren't doing it against the initial action. Like they were getting so many offensive rebounds against Minnesota in that series which really hurt them. And like that's something that Gobert is going to clean up for them. Uh so I I actually think that they're they're a better playoff team now too. Uh, even even if the you know the the conventional narrative might say otherwise, uh, they they have a chance to to be good. I also think Anthony Edwards is just going to be special. Baseball. I think he is going to be a hell of a player. Well, and I love the dynamics with Cat. You know, and I, sometimes I'm guilty. I know of you know thinking I'm a sports psychologist here, but like when you have Carl Anthony Towns, who this has been his city for quite some time, his franchise, his team, his organization, and now 
you know, it's like, oh, damn, uh, this Anthony Edwards is, is not even on his way. I mean, you could argue it's he's kind of surpassed him in that department. So age-wise, career arc-wise, if you're Cat, he knows that, that, that you make this thing work and you take it to the next level, it's not going to matter, you know, who's one, who's 1A. If you get it done, you're going to have a legacy in Minnesota, whereas to this point, that has, you know, it, that has not been the case. So I think Carl's in a, in a very motivated place where I think it could line up pretty well. There's always like three teams or so like in the first two weeks of the season, first month of the season on like league pass or whatever. You know, you look at the NBA schedule, like, oh, I want to see them. And I just want to see how it looks on the court because it's very new. They're to me probably like the top team. I just want to watch early in the season. Right. Just to see because theoretically, like I, the, they should be better from this trade. They better be better from the trade. They just traded their whole future for it. But it is like an odd mix, particularly offensively. I'm just curious, like where they stand early in the season, and um, it's like I think there, there's going to be some growing pains offensively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Towns is now like a, a, a only a power forward. I mean, Gobert's is going to be clogging the lane. Where's well, and Edward? he also like, Carl had a lot of moments last year where where he just put his big boy pants on and was just you know, going through people down low, the type of stuff that people have been calling for for years. So, yeah, I mean, that gets tougher with Rudy around. Um, I just think in general, in a vacuum, Rudy remains, you know, pretty significantly underestimated, and he's a hell of a player. I think he's going to help. Um, it'll be fun to watch. The Lakers, for me, not to go down that road, but you, you talk about teams to watch later and the ones that you just want to see what the hell they are. Um, you know, Lakers are another one for me. Just how, how do they handle Westbrook? You know, are they any good at all? Do they have any chance of, of even getting a playoff spot? You can also go, you can stagger them. So you can go 24 minutes of just Towns, 24 minutes of just Gobert, and then six to 12 minutes where those guys play together. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I, I just, it's just the, the then, the, I mean, that part's going to be interesting. Like Finch is a great coach. So just how Finch does that, right? You, you, I just feel like it's a team that, it's not as simple. You know, like the Suns, I know it's not a great time to talk about the Suns, but you know how they fit so well as just like a unit, right? You're like, you have the perfect point guard. You got the shooting guard and Devin Booker. Uh, Mikael Bridges is a perfect wing who doesn't isn't that high usage, but he defends. You have the traditional center. Jay Crowder's kind of like a rugged modern power forward. It's like, man, that just that lineup makes 100% sense. Everybody knows what to do. I just think with Minnesota, there's just going to be kind of – uh, of uh, probably an extended amount of growing pains on like everyone figuring out their exact role. D'Angelo Russell probably still thinks like, hey, I should control the offense, right? I'm the pick and roll maven. It's like, well, Anthony Edwards is probably taking more of that usage. Towns wants his touches. Gobert historically has like wanted more of an offensive role. And typically if, if you get traded mid-career as a star, you're like, you know, I, I, now finally I'm going to get alley-oops all the time because I wasn't in Utah. Like, well, I don't know how many alley-oops he's going to get. So that's just, I'm just curious to watch it and how Finch navigates it all. Agreed. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to let you go with that. Fred's got to get out of here. It was fantastic to see you again and to be back on the old tampering platform. Appreciate you guys. And uh, I think we're doing it again next week. Even if, you know, if the, if we got nothing to talk about, we'll come up with something. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. No, we are not. Doing oh, it. never mind. Andrew Schleck says no. No tampering next week. We will be back soon whenever Andrew tells us. In two weeks, he is now indicating. We are getting uh, second-by-second updates. All right, guys. Be good. Be good.